Sit back and relax. Educate and inform. Cozy conversations, drop the knowledge that's for real. Indigo Studio, always in the know. With Hermine Hartman, you'll be enlightened. It's time to invest in you. City Colleges of Chicago can support you with a world-class education, whatever your goal is. Get started with summer classes at City Colleges. Apply now at ccc.edu slash apply. When people come together, flowers always flourish. The air is rich with the aroma of a new spring. This generation must offer leadership to the real world. Support self-determination. We're built on that. Support economic development. You know it's right. Be consistent and gain our moral authority in the world. I challenge you tonight, my friends. Let's be bigger and better as a nation and as a party. Hi, this is Hermine Hartman with Indigo Studio. And today we've got a wonderful guest and we're going to talk about one of our favorite people. Uh, Bishop Tavis Grant has joined us, and we want to talk about Reverend Jesse Jackson. Reverend Jesse Jackson pivoted on July 16th, saying that he was going to uh, take a different kind of role in uh, the civil rights movement and in Rainbow Push. Welcome, Bishop Grant. It's a pleasure, pleasure and a privilege to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. So let's talk about Reverend Jackson. What, what has the Reverend Jesse Jackson mark been as, well, you, as you see it? It's been uh, incredible and can never be erased and can never be imitated. You know, when we look at the breadth and length of Reverend Jackson's uh, fingerprints and footprints all over the globe, there's just no one single-handedly has had the kind of impact on American culture, on international culture, uh, in a way that if you take one piece, you still have so many pieces left. So you have to say, which Reverend Jackson are you, are you speaking I, of, Absolutely, right? because mm-hmm. the, you know, the whole idea of uh, his image as a human rights figure, as a political figure, uh, as a person who has impacted various genres of music and art hmm. and, and, and social interaction, uh, who has, from the Pope to Cesar Chavez, uh, Nelson, to Mandela. Nelson Mandela, to presidents, um, he is, in and of himself, uh, a creation that uh, God has chosen not to have another. So, so that's called living large. It's called it's called living <laughs> large or, or ex- extremely beyond the margins, right? Okay, so let's talk about Reverend Jackson uh, in human rights in the civil rights movement. Uh, what 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 accomplishments? What achievements have we seen? Well, you know, I think it. I, you, when you look at, for example, when Dr. King at Riverside Baptist Church uh, pivoted himself to not just civil rights. But this whole idea of war, the peace the, movement, uh, the unjust, immoral, mm-hmm. illegal, 
war. So Riverside the, is where Dr. King spoke he about. He spoke in New York, yes. Um, the Vietnam War. Vietnam War, and yes. that he was against it. And, and that he was be, against it. Okay. And then he went a step further and made poverty a war. So he mm -hmm. shifted from this human war of economics mm -hmm. to a war on poverty. And, of course, that war still goes on today. I believe that became the template by which Reverend Jackson, when he came to Chicago and started talking about economic justice, mm -hmm. it, too, was a transition from traditional civil rights, water fountains, back of the bus, diners, hotels, access to libraries and schools. How about access to capital? How about access to management, access to distribution, manufacturing? How about access uh, to the upper echelon uh, of corporate America? Never thought about it, never, you know, you came to the Midwest then, and you had more black mayors in the Midwest than you had some, some elected officials around the, around the country. So you think that speech stimulated Reverend Jackson's worldview, gave him I, I, a global I, I, view? I really do, because at that time there was so much angst and rejection of King yes. by his own peers. Right. And who was there? Who was the single figure that was there who took a strange assignment, go to Chicago, and start another arm and or entity of SELC? And that called was Operation Breadbasket. That was Operation Breadbasket. And what was the purpose of Operation Breadbasket? Now, Reverend a, Jackson was in school. Yes. Uh, how vulnerable the black middle class was in its potential. He did not have a working class, per se, in the South. Did not have manufacturing in the South. Did not have industry in the South. Did not have access to civil service jobs like postal workers, firemen, and school teachers. Policemen, firemen. Which became the, mm -hmm. the, the centerplex of the black middle class. He didn't have that in, in the South. And so let's take a chance and do something outside the box with, of all people, Jesse Jackson. So Breadbasket was focused on economic development, economic justice, if you will. And that took hold with boycotts. Uh, with demands of you took, products you on You went shelf. from sit-ins mm -hmm. to freedom riders on buses 
to all-out boycotts of local businesses in an urban uh, in, a, in an urban center that reverberated around the country. Who would, after the the the, the, the bombings and the fires and and the mayhem after '68, who would think of leading boycotts in Chicago or in Detroit or in Gary, Indiana? And, and it was frightening. And and let's look at where the boycotts were. These were boycotts aimed at grocery stores. In the black community. In the black community yes. where you were allowed to shop yes. and consume, but not allowed to work. And these, these, were, these were, as you know, uh, these were traditionally black um, areas of commodity and capital because you couldn't go anywhere else. So mm-hmm. Beverly, black. West Garfield, black. Pil- I mean, you just go down the line of areas in Chicago, so you didn't have to go outside of the, the green zone, per se. And so these stores couldn't, couldn't depend on resource, capital, or profits from any other community but the black community. Mm-hmm. And who was the mastermind? Jesse Jackson. So there was a concentration on these stores. And not only was it the shopping, because there was bad food being mm-hmm. sold, poor food, rotten food sold to us, but it was also jobs. Yes. It was also from some uh, business people putting our products on their shelves Absolutely. for sale, like Grow Fresh Orange Juice, like Joe Louis Milk. Soft Sheen. Soft Sheen products. The whole yes. hair industry yes. was not being sold, and it was really through Reverend Jackson's efforts that now we have an ethnic uh, section in most uh, department stores and uh, grocery stores where those products are. It was and the distribution routes. It was the distribution. So you had many people didn't know milk and beverage, uh, and other commodities were routes mm-hmm. that you owned the route, that the driver owned the route, mm-hmm. all right? And so the driver got a certain percentage, and that was his route, and new businesses that would come on that route, that was those were very extremely lucrative uh, opportunities back then. So you had, you had white truck owners with black routes that were, in, mo- in most instances, the most profitable because it was a contained profitability. It was so concentrated. You had nowhere to go but yeah. here. So those are the breadbasket years. Let's move into politics. How did Reverend Jackson change politics? And I, we're going to get to 84 when Reverend Jackson ran for presidential uh, and 88 when Jesse ran for presidential again. But before then, how did Reverend Jackson change politics in America? Well, well, you know, for seven years, the Fellowship Baptist Church of Chicago could not build because Reverend Dr. Clay Evans sided with Jesse Jackson on King coming to Chicago. And it set off a political rival and resistance with Mayor Daley. So Mayor Daley said Dr. King was not welcomed in Chicago. This was in 66. Yes. You're not welcomed here. We don't want you, and we don't need you. And we had six aldermen, six black aldermen, and they said they agreed. Yes. And we had some of the top ministers with the largest churches who also said the same. And Daley said Dr. King should not be welcomed into the churches. 
Well, Clay Evans didn't agree with that, and he did welcome. There and were he, only a couple he, of and churches. And he paid the price. And he paid the price, paid and the price. so he welcomed King into his pulpit. And, um, and Reverend saw an opportunity politically mm-hmm. to begin, you know, his, uh, his mantra has always been a social minority can become a political majority. Mm-hmm. And he used that against Daly mm-hmm. in key areas around the city of Chicago with key political figures. You will see the emerging of someone by the name of Bobby Rush as an organizer, mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Hayes. You will hear these a union names, guy. These, a union guy. Mm-hmm. These names that start to emerge in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And a Nancy Jefferson, a Lou Palmer, Dick Newhouse. Dick Newhouse. You'll mm-hmm. hear these names start emerging mm-hmm. in the city of Chicago because there's this young activist giving them cover. And so Reverend did things like go to city council meetings, go to school board meetings. And, and what became of that? He got the, a, the first high school in Chicago named after who? Dr. King, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is right down the street from a place called Dr. King's Workshop, where Operation Push and now the Rainbow Push Coalition calls its headquarters. But he didn't stop there. He took people to caucus meetings in Springfield. He also started registering people to vote. He started registering people to and vote. And showing people how to run for yeah. office. And what, and what provided him kind of a, a real social segue is while Reverend, uh, you know, did a lot of his uh, organizing on the South Side, Dr. King lived on the West Side. That's right. So and it gave him kind of a, uh, a cachet, if you will, uh, an entrance, as you will, to white West Side politics. Because for African Americans at that time, the West Side was a block and the South Side was a block until they found mutual political interests and you brought them together. But People like Daly were masters at keeping those communities separated for political purposes. And so that was really the beginning, that work was really the beginning of independent politics in Chicago. One figure who was key, but not yet necessarily widely known, was Harold Washington Yeah, as a state well, rep. Well, yeah, and, I, and let, me, let me add to that. Let, let me add to that. Let's mm-hmm. insert just for a moment Richard Hatcher. Richard Hatcher in Gary, the Indiana. Black mayor of Gary, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And what Reverend Jackson did, because you remember the National Black Political Convention, Reverend Jackson, uh, 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 you know, you have key figures like the wife of Malcolm X and Coretta Scott King coming mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Black political power was, was beginning to. Uh, take on structure, shape, and form. Mm-hmm. While Reverend Jackson was contending with Daly in Chicago, he just crossed the bridge and being an all-black town, all-black city, with an all-black mayor, who all but gave Reverend Jackson the keys and the keys to the city during his long term, which gave Reverend a national platform. So a lot of people, while Dr. King never made it to Gary, Jesse Jackson did, and he used it in a very creative way to galvanize black people who were on the Chicago side, can't be seen with Jesse uh, down there at, 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 at this, that, and the other. You gotta protect go my to, job. Let's go to Gary, to the Genesis, where everybody's black and free. Mm. 
uh, one of the people that came out of that uh, that effort was Carl Stokes. No doubt about it. And uh, Coleman, Coleman in Detroit. Young. So Coleman Young, a former Tuskegee Airman. That's right. Many were lost in the struggle for the right to vote. The four darling little girls in the church in Birmingham, Alabama, they died that we might have a right to live. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. lies only a few miles from us tonight. Tonight he must feel good as he looks down upon us. We sit here together, a rainbow coalition, the sons and daughters of slave masters and the sons and daughters of slaves sitting together around the common table to decide the direction of our party and our country. His heart would be full tonight as a testament to the struggles of those who have gone before, as a legacy for those who will come after, as a tribute to the endurance, the patience, the courage of our forefathers and mothers as an assurance that their prayers are being answered, that their work has not been in vain, and the hope is eternal. Tomorrow night, my name will go in nomination for the presidency of the United States of America. Yeah. So that was the beginning of political organizing, if you will. So let's get to 84 and 88. So Reverend Jackson decides to run for president. Talk about how that came about. Well, you know, at the time, you know, we knew nationally we, the time was right. Shirley Chisholm had kind of broken up the ground, significant gains in Congress, significant gains in statewide elections around, around the country. The whole idea of kind of being dictated to uh, as, as a black political was beginning to become uncomfortable. And uncomfortable people, for white people. For white people. Because, for but, national because, politics. Because black people were becoming two things. They were becoming more educated national politics, democratic politics, the democracy of politics, but nationalism was on the rise. And Shirley Chisholm was... Black woman. Yes. Black. Yes. And female. This is also at the height of feminism. That's right. When the women's movement was progressing and also a New Yorker. And there were a number of people that were considering, were to be considered, Maynard, Maynard Jackson in Atlanta, number of people, and they just didn't have it in them. Mm-hmm. And it was almost the, the same basis by which they selected Dr. King for the the, the Montgomery bus boycott. Being the, being, being the new young he, minister. He's young, and uh, he, 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 on one hand, he may not have a snowball's chance, uh, but what do we lose? I was going to say, but nothing to lose. Well, nothing okay, to lose. so. And he jumps in. He jumps in, and he wins. He jumps in and starts winning caucuses and primaries. Okay, so 84, 88, what did we get out of Reverend Jackson's run. How did the Democratic Party change? How did politics change? Well, there's a there's a there's a, a a person who was a young staffer during that period who's now the 2024 Democratic Convention chairwoman, Minyan Moore. And Secretary from, for Reverend Willie Barrow. Reverend Willie Barrow. 
from there you have Ron Brown. You have a you have a you know, Donna Brazil. Donna Brazil. You have a plethora of Mike Espy uh, in Mississippi. Uh, you have the growth of the Congressional Black Caucus. You have the monetizing of uh, the national body of black mayors. You have this body of politics that you never had before that rode the wind and coattails of Reverend Jesse Jackson. You have a Maxine Waters, who's now tenured. You had uh, here, here in Chicago, Gus Savage, uh, God bless his soul. Uh, Danny Davis is, 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 is a legacy and icon in and of himself. You, you look at Charlie Rangel being the first African-American that's over the house ways and means. You attribute that to Jesse Jackson. Mm -hmm. um, you look at two terms, uh, Barack Obama as president, that's Jesse Jackson. The but ground. you have a body of local, county, statewide electoral politics that Reverend, not, not necessarily intentionally, Right. Not necessarily intentionally, like because I, I meant to do it. It was an osmosis. It was a growth mm -hmm. uh, for us politically. Mm -hmm. uh, and today, when you see this new body of millennial uh, uh, electeds, and you can put in there Jonathan Jackson, uh, you see the work of Reverend Jackson grow. Eric Adams in New Eric York. Eric Adams in New York. Bates Maxwell in Fall, California. Ben, 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 absolutely. You see growth. Brandon Johnson in Brandon Chicago. Brandon Johnson in Chicago. Wherever you are tonight, I challenge you to hope and the dream. Don't submerge your dreams. Exercise above all else. Face reality, yes. But don't stop with the way things are. Dream of things as they ought to be. Dream. Face pain. But love, hope, faith, and dreams will help you rise above the pain. Use hope and imagination as weapons of survival and progress. But you keep on dreaming, young America. Dream of peace. Peace is rational and reasonable. Dream of teachers who teach for life and not for living. Dream of doctors who are concerned more about public health than private wealth. Dream of lawyers more concerned about justice and the judgeship. Dream of preachers who are concerned more about Prophecy and profiteering dream on the high road with sound values. And then America, as we go forth to September, October, November, and then beyond, America must never surrender to a high moral challenge. Never surrender, young America. Go forward. So that, so that, so what Reverend was doing at that time, and like you say, this is not intentional. This is not a five-year plan, this is work being done, and this is the result of the work being done of what we now call progressive politics. At a time, and there was a time you wouldn't put that, those two words together. You wouldn't put it together, and you might not talk about it in public. You had to, be, had to watch where you, where you spoke about it. So we saw a body politic change, but I want to go specifically to how the election of the Democrats changed, because he changed the rules. Yeah, Talk about that Proportionality. Mm -hmm. Reverend Jackson saw an opportunity coming out of 88 as it relates to delegates, caucuses, and primaries, and the math of the matter. Because we've always, we've always ran our 
our cultural politics on feelings, sensitivities, attraction, what the Lord told me. Tribal. <laughs> they they call that tribal. Yeah, it's tribal. And so Reverend looked at the math of the matter, mm-hmm. and he saw an opportunity to shift the math from basic arithmetic to algebra and geometry and formulas that politics is a science. So there's a formula to it. In changing the formula, you know, winner take all, it's a totally different dynamic, all right? And the caucus uh, functionality, it's a totally different dynamic, primaries. So we went from winner takes all to? Proportionality. Proportionality. For example, in Michigan. In Michigan, Reverend Jackson won, and it's it's an untold story, Reverend Jackson won in a Democratic state that had a Republican majority. And Republicans, for the sake of the process, voted for Jesse Jackson just to jam the state Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so on the big screen on CNN, Jackson wins Michigan. Mm -hmm. But you got to know the math of it. That's right. All right. And so we came to know the math of politics out of 88 and we understood it on a local level on how to elect an alderman and how to elect a county president. A state rep. A state rep. Governors, so a, mayors. A John Stroger's tenure in Chicago is math. Mm-hmm. Harold Washington is math. Emil Jones. Emil Jones is math. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so you look across the country, you had a guy that could come into your city and say, you have X amount of registered voters and X amount of available voters in your county jail, we need to register them to vote, Mm -hmm. and they make the difference in your next election. Mm -hmm. Now, the operatives knew how to play those numbers. We just never saw it as math. And so when you fast forward to 08 with Barack Obama, didn't give him a shot, didn't give him a chance, but the math was there. So it's even before Barack Obama. It's Clinton. It is Clinton. It, it started, it, 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 it was it, Clinton. It is Clinton because, mm-hmm. again, the, the, the Southern strategy then was to suppress the black vote mm-hmm. and to marginalize Democratic turnout. Mm-hmm. So let's just take a little snippet of that. You take a guy like Jesse Jackson, who Clinton patterned himself after to become governor. The whole Arkansas. idea of the first black president, that's Bill Clinton in Arkansas. Bill Clinton campaigned in black areas with Jesse Jackson, and black people said, he might be one of us. That's because these two guys would call each other by first name. This is Jesse, that's Bill, and this is Bill, and this is Jesse. And black voters in Arkansas voted overwhelmingly for Bill Clinton in spite of in spite of the challenges and took him all the way to the White House. So what we see the body politic changing, we see economics changing for black businesses as well as black consumers. What has been the Jesse Jackson message overall? That anything is possible. First of all, it's possibility. It's possibility. An opportunity. An opportunity. Dream big. Dream big and be willing to take the highest risk, no matter the reward ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, Step I, and, forward. Yeah, and I, and I think that part of that is the willingness to be a rule breaker. 
rather than a standard bearer. It's easier to be a standard bearer because everybody will applaud you. Well, the but king. He, the king message is not 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 all laws are good laws. Some all laws, laws are bad laws. Not all laws are bad. Yeah, you got to challenge them. You got to challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think for Reverend, it became not just habitual in that, in, in as much as it became a way of life, mm-hmm. that he could. Uh, his whole idea of apartheid, you got to break the rules. He's said so many times, I'd rather be arrested for something right than to be free for something wrong. And apartheid was a no-brainer for him. A lot of, a lot of African-Americans today, that's right, I was with Mandela, they were conflicted. He's in jail, Mandela's in jail. He did something he, he did, wrong. So he did something wrong. I can go but so far. But when it, when it came to being involved in uh, African affairs or international affairs, it was a no-brainer. We've got to go and tell Saddam to let these hostages go. So one of the things I vividly remember, when Reverend Jackson was on the debate stage in 88 with Biden and uh, other white candidates, and as they talked about international affairs, they talked about NATO, they talked about China, they talked about Russia, Reverend said, what about Africa? What about apartheid? What about Nelson Mandela? What about democracy? What about voting? And I will never, ever forget the looks on their faces to say, who is Mandela? What is apartheid? Because it just it was just blank face, mm-hmm. and which gave Reverend full opportunity to say, let me tell you, and just went forth. But that was really the beginning at the international stage of Nelson Mandela well, being scope, free. It's the scope and scale of it. He went from apartheid, Mandela, South Africa, to the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. He went from the Palestinians Cuba. to Cuba. Mm-hmm. He went from Cuba to Haiti. I mean, he, he methodically uh, put this patchwork together uh, for people to see that oppression, suppression, racism, classism, is not in his, listen to King at the Riverside Church, and I think you'll believe it. Yeah, you'll right. see the narrative that King lays out, that humanity is humanity. Reverend Jackson conceptualized it uh, in a way that he could put this patchwork together. And activate. And talk about Appalachia mm-hmm. and Indians on reservations. Mm-hmm. He could talk about Indians on reservations and weave the needle of LGBTQ way before progressive politics embraced it uh, as, as an, an alliance. Jesse Jackson was already there. Where are we now, Bishop Grant? You've been part of the Jackson team. Where are we, we are, now as we pivot? While some may think we're at the end, we're at the beginning of something we never thought we'd see. I don't think many thought we would live to see Reverend Pivot or live to see this era of his life. Um, As I get to see him every day, um, it's almost seeing an orchestra. I would love to be around your friend, Quincy Jones, when he's writing music on pieces of paper and sitting at a piano 
and putting the pieces together. Here and he gets up head. in the middle of the night and he mm-hmm. puts something else there. He's having dinner with somebody. He says, I'm sorry, I got to go to my studio. And he puts this phenomenal piece together. And then they go to the studio and they play it. And then one day he's sitting at the beach. And he says, wow. I, I think was... we're, we're, we're going to get a seat at the, at the beach and hear, hear it. Hear the symphony. Hear the symphony. So I interviewed Reverend once. We were, I was writing something. I think I was doing my book on King. Oh, I can't remember if it was that or if it was a presidential speech we were working on. We were in the backyard, lemonade, comfortable. And uh, Reverend was getting restless, as you know he does. And he was like, you, you're asking me too many questions. It's just too many questions. He says, what? I said, Reverend, I'm recording history. I'm doing it firsthand. And I said, what's important is one day I want to be sitting with you, maybe in the same seats that we're in today, but I want us to look back and remember. And he was like, oh, so in other words, I better answer the questions. I said, something like, something like that. That'll, that'll, that'll work if, if you don't mind, please. Oh, he said, okay, let's hurry up and get through, but I'll give you a couple of more questions. But it was reflection to say, Reverend, we got to grow old. We don't need to get killed yeah. for the wonderful work that we've yeah. done. Bishop Grant, thank you so very much for being with me today, Talk about Uh, somebody that we love and know and has shaped our lives, really, and that's Reverend Jesse Jackson. We're still doing it. We're keeping hope alive. Keep hope alive. Thank you. You can make it. Hold your head high. Stick your chest out. You can make it. It gets dark sometimes, but the morning comes. Don't you surrender. Suffering breeds character. Character breeds faith. In the end, faith will not disappoint. You must not surrender. You may or may not get there, but just know that you are qualified and you hold on and hold out. We must never surrender. America will get better and better. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. On tomorrow night and beyond. Keep hope alive. I love you very much. It's time to invest in you. City Colleges of Chicago can support you with a world-class education, whatever your goal is. Get started with summer classes at City Colleges. Apply now at ccc.edu apply.